idea. Hello, welcome back to Do Something With, a podcast where healthcare students and professionals explore what it takes to do something about the injustices we see in our day-to-day lives. I'm your host, Victoria Ngo, and this is also my way of bringing all that I've learned during medical school with me when I begin residency in a few months. Our guest today is a co-director of our Family Medicine Scholars Tract, faculty advisor for our Family Medicine Interest Group, previous elementary school teacher, and de facto mom for our Fam Med cohort, Judy Gary. Welcome to the show, Judy. Thanks, Victoria. Glad to be here. Okay, so I'm trying to ask everyone, what has been bringing you hope recently that there can be a better future? Well, since you cued me in a little bit, I've given a lot of thought to this, and I've been actually surprised at how challenging a question that is. Uh-huh. Um, it's I, I don't know if you've found that in your thinking about it, but it's been really thought-provoking. And I think with all of the challenges that we're all experiencing, I think probably what gives me the most hope is that we still continue to kind of walk through all of this and maybe because we need to we focus on the things that we either find some inspiration for or joy in like you know even i was thinking about how the news has been just full of things that are difficult right yeah with the earthquake and so focusing on some of the rescue for that yeah locally thinking about things like family and friends who've had children, given birth, getting engaged, things like that. I think that reminds me that sometimes the hope is in the ability to focus on those things and to keep walking, to keep moving. It's like that Fred Rogers quote, like, look for the helpers. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't thought about that, but yeah. Um, But absolutely. I think looking at people's engagements and these things like this, having children and whatnot, it really reminds me that life just keeps moving forward for better or for worse. And depending on how you look at it, we can really feel like it is for the better, that as a community, we're resilient and no matter what's going on, we're going to keep living our lives the best we can and support each other, so. I think that's true and I think that it is through as many of those real connections that you can make that's what kind of fosters that. And to go back to you saying that this was a difficult question, I initially planned for this podcast to be 10 reasons why I'm hopeful and giving everyone a chance to give their input on what makes them hopeful. But after trying to come up with 10 reasons, I was like, this is really hard. It's really hard. (laughs) Um, And I have found that listening to these episodes after we've recorded them and hearing what everyone else's doing in their lives and feeling and how everyone is just doing the work has been very hopeful for me. So I'm cheating a little bit. I'm not going to give you my answer, but... (laughs) But I'll look forward to listening to it. Yeah. So if any of our listeners know Judy in real life, they would know without a doubt that you do not consider yourself a social justice warrior. (laughs) And I think people can come to this work of social justice in many different ways, but the two ways I often see are either through changing norms or through persistent values. And when norms change, it becomes unacceptable to use certain words or believe certain things. So I think a lot of people who don't have the time or energy to look deeply into issues will align their opinions with someone that they respect. And I definitely find myself doing that for a variety of topics that I really just don't know about and I don't have the time. 
But what I think really inspires progress in a sustainable way is a value set, a shared value set that inherently promotes good in the world. And that is something I think you have. I think you see what everyone could be and wants to be and what's in our heart. And you give us that space to become that someone and form this really strong sense of self and values, regardless of what societal norms are present at the time. And I've been reading Pedagogy of the Oppressed for my underserved in medicine track, learning about how education is liberatory and that the space that you carve out that lets people find their self and self-actualize is that space that liberation comes out of. Well, it feels sort of overwhelming for me to hear a lot of those impressions because I don't think of all of those things in quite that way. I, I feel like what you're really describing is the idea of kind of walking beside somebody. Mm-hmm. And the ways that I might operate are the things I've been privileged to experience myself. You know, Mm. people kind of being there and providing those opportunities and spaces and making some of them for myself, but not alone. Right. So it feels like that's just the way you do things. I, I hear that. And I also think that what you do requires this trust in your students that their ideas are good, that inherently your students are people who want to bring new things into the world and that even if you don't necessarily completely agree with what they want to do or what they're planning for our family medicine group, for example, you are still going to trust in them and that this is a step in a collective journey mm-hmm. and you make it happen. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people to be able to step back and say, this is not my stage right now, but let me make sure the stage has all the tools you might need. Well, you know, I'm going back to what you said before about the idea of how things are changing all the time. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that that feels important to me is that being with all of you helps me to stay aware and current with those things. Yeah. You know, I maybe feel like sometimes I'm playing catch up, but to be among young adults, it's like I'm going along with you and you're keeping me present. And when you talked about the idea of how things are changing, that gets tough as you get older, you know, to adjust to all those changes. But I feel like listening to you all and being kind of part of that journey I talked about gives me the opportunity to try and adjust to things. And even when I don't sort of fully understand or sometimes even fully appreciate all that is happening, I feel like the guiding principle in that is the idea that if it's important to other people, that's good enough. Yeah. Not only by itself, but the very basic premise of respecting that is important. I appreciate that. I think that everyone with a background in education has had teachers or mentors who saw them, believed in them, and opened doors for them. So could you tell me about how a good educator has helped you find a sense of self and purpose? Yeah, that's actually easy for me. Yeah. um, Because I've had two people in particular that have really been instrumental for me in terms of personal growth and professional growth. And I go back to those two opportunities over and over and over again. And in some ways, it's that and the idea that I hope that 
somebody's doing the kind of thing that I do with you all with my own children that make it meaningful to me to play the role I do. So the first person that comes to mind for me was um, a person who was uh, introduced to me during my graduate training. And I was sort of in that place of, uh, you know, I work with students all the time that are trying to figure things out. And I was that student trying to figure things out. I went to graduate school with a specific goal in mind, got there and found out that that just wasn't a fit for me. In fact, I couldn't find my fit. Mm-hmm. And I really was anxious about that and feeling like I'd made a decision that wasn't going to work out and how was I going to find my way. And I think that was really an important experience for me because what I learned, particularly through this mentorship, is that there isn't one path and you don't always have to fit. It's sometimes about being really in touch with your own values and your own skills even and carving out a path that puts together those things if you're lucky enough to be able to do that and I was but I didn't do that without a lot of help and some insights about the idea that there's no one right step or path so that was very helpful to me and I think That person and my subsequent mentor, who I actually met because they introduced me, they knew each other, Mm -hmm. gave me the opportunity. There were windows. That's what I think of, that they created windows for me for when I was ready to move through those. Yeah. I should have said doors, right? (laughs) Step through the doors. I, I think that that is about trying to be with somebody where they are, but provide sort of a opportunity to move forward when you're ready. Yeah. So for me, that was really important. It's funny because I think you're right. I think you have taken on that role of guiding a bunch of lost children (laughs) of us coming into medical school and a lot of us starting out wanting to do family medicine. And of course, I still want to do family medicine. But of course, there are students who decide maybe this is not their path for them. And or the other way around where people come into school thinking, one way and decide actually they love family medicine and how do you jump in at the end and that you're able to share that experience that you've had as you go through grad school with us while we go through grad school is kind of cool. I guess it's just maybe part of growing up to be changing our minds and exploring. What kind of things do you think your mentors did that allowed you to find your way? I would say that asking good questions, Mm -hmm. things that helped me sort of clarify my values and think about how I wanted to be spending my time instead of what I wanted to be, Yeah, which are really, to me, important premises. You know, not everybody is lucky enough to um, enjoy or love or even like what they do that earns them their living. That's kind of a privileged thing. So I think though, as you are making decisions, when you have those opportunities, being really clear about what your personal values are and how well there's a fit Mm -hmm. and just the general idea that it isn't so much what you're called you know, uh, it's it's how you want to spend your time. Yeah. What it what meaning it has. So, 
you know, those are some of the things that you learn when someone's questioning you or you're offering to go through that inquiry process with someone else. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I remember between graduating college and starting medical school, I spent like a whole year trying to define my values and all of that. Um, And that was really important. And I try and go back to that often. So I think that makes complete sense. Well, there's also a little bit of support Mm -hmm. because this is, you know, some of these things take a little courage. And so having people who have your back and even when you stretch and it doesn't work, yeah. To be able to look at that and see what got in the way, how you would think about it differently. I can remember, you know, even in the position I had here at VCU very early on, I, I guess I didn't, it took me a while to gain courage. And the person that I worked with at the time um, offered me a lot of little insights, things mm-hmm. like, not worrying so much about being an expert in something, but how important it is to sort of draw on the value and the expertise and the wisdom of a group. Yeah. His words were, you know, what's the wisdom of the group? Yeah. And so that allowed me to move from this place where I thought I had to be the giver of all to more of the facilitator of. Yeah. So... Later in this podcast, I talked to Sarah Beaverson, uh-huh. and I think between her leadership style and your leadership style, I've really learned to see leadership more as a facilitator, because like you said, the wisdom of the group is always going to be more than the individual, and I see how that played out when I was in our family medicine student interest group, and just the variety of interests people had and bringing that really gave us a holistic almost like secondary curriculum outside of our actual med school curriculum we did basically monthly or even twice a month sometimes lectures right about all sorts of things and do you feel like you came to the place of allowing the students to do whatever we want because reliably it works out every time or do you think you came in first saying okay even if it tanks the students will learn over time well, I actually got insight into that over time. Mm. You know, in other words, finding my place as your faculty advisor for the organization yeah. was an evolutionary kind of thing for me. Mm. Like I had to think about what does that role really mean? Because you can fall very easily into sort of being the leader of the group yourself yes. or the room mother. Right. It was actually Dr. Crossman that gave me some good advice about it at one point and said, you know, really, it's theirs. Uh It's theirs. Because I had asked for the advice. I sort of feel like at different times, I had played those different roles, Mm -hmm. right? It gave me another perspective in terms of sort of leaning away and giving students more latitude and just being a resource to them. It's not that I don't, you know, offer an opinion. But I find that it's much more enjoyable to see where you guys are going to take it and just be the person that provides some resource, encouragement, and maybe some guardrails. I don't know. (laughs) That's really interesting to hear you say it like that because I think you actually might be one of the most involved faculty advisors of our student interest groups. But the way you're involved feels like you're not involved at all. But I always worry about being over-involved. I reflect on it a lot over the years as I try and think of how to make spaces for others to do things because 
in the spaces that I had where it was really hands-off, it's just me and other students trying to do things, and then someone signs off on it at the end. Right. We were able to do a lot, but I think we weren't being empowered to do more. We were doing as much as first-year medical students could do. And I think with your involvement, this family medicine group was able to do things that I think would be impressive if, like, residents did it. Mm -hmm. Thinking back, I know part of it is your connections to resources, connections to people for us to talk about. But I really think it's the space of knowing that we have an advisor who is involved, who's taking care of us, but also somehow feeling that freedom that we could explore maybe in a safe way. Maybe when we were by ourselves, we weren't sure like how far we could take it, what if we fell off. But like you said, you were able to put up guardrails that we trusted in so we could really explore what, what we were capable of. Yeah. And do you think this final, evol- oh, okay, I'm not gonna say final evolution, <laughs> this 2023 evolution of Judy as a faculty advisor is more peeling away at the leadership style you had before or adding in things or kind of like a combination? What a great question. I will kind of broaden the role a little bit. I think in general, and it was okay to say the final because, you know, like I'm kind of the seasoned uh, (laughs) person at this point. And and you do get a different perspective, right? Yeah. There are some things I'm very comfortable with now that I know are good tools and resources for me. Yeah. You know, in my personal interactions with students, which is, you know, the individual connections to me are probably the most meaningful. Yeah. There are ways that I go about those interactions knowing that there's a certain certain skills I can rely on, that facilitation kind of thing, whether it's with individuals or in, you know, facilitating a program, whatever. Mm-hmm. Those have become more comfortable for me, but they're still intentional. They're yeah. still, I don't know, I say all the time that my background in education and counseling serve me in ways I never expected them to do. You know, going back to what I said about being in graduate school and yeah. not fitting. Yeah. I knew that I was not going to fit into a traditional classroom setting as a teacher yeah. anymore. Yeah. I knew that I was not going to end up doing individual therapy and counseling, which is kind of the background that I have educationally. Yeah. But those sets of skills and that mindset Mm -hmm. together I use every single day Mm -hmm. in ways that feel personally motivating and gratifying that kind of thing so it's not so much about leadership or of those how's my leadership changed I try to remember that even though I don't think of myself as a leader I play that role in some way yes but I overall think of myself and maybe the most gratifying skill I have is really that facilitation piece of just putting things together. I think if I had ever been in the theater, I'd be the backstage person and uh-huh. love that. Uh-huh. I could see that. Just <laughs> putting all the pieces and players together. Yes. And I feel like additionally to being the facilitator you are the safety net Mm. i don't think students ever fall off the edge with you whether in school or in in our 
clubs or in like just things we come to you for? I hope not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think that comes in two parts. The first part where you make space for people to tell you when maybe they need help. Uh And the second part is like, it's hard to put into words because I just have observed that people don't fall off the edge. And a lot of people attribute it to, you know, having Judy in the program. But I would not be able to describe what you do that makes it that way. Um, I, I'm not sure I can either, except that holding on to those things, those people and those things, uh, holding on to things is important to me. Yeah. Um, trying to, I don't know, maybe that is the taking care of mm. part of me. I think it's probably just part of the way that I live. You yeah. know? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's that's a fair assessment, too. But it does make me happy to hear that keeping track of things has some value. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't mean just things, but people. I do yeah. really feel like relationships are important. And some of the most important things to me are those connections, whether it is a personal connection like this one where we sit together. Yeah. I mean, even in my social life, I prefer to have coffee with a couple of people than to go to a big party. That's not my thing. But also the connecting of people that don't know each other. Yeah. But I know would be mutually beneficial. Yeah. That's meaningful. Yeah, I agree. I think the relationships are super meaningful. And I feel like every episode so far has gone back to relationships and that is absolutely a family med bias that I have. Um, But I think it's true. I think when you build these relationships with your students, inherent to that relationship and you investing in that relationship is students trusting you. And I don't know, maybe it just comes with experience that you know how to be a safety net you have experienced things before or you've seen other students experience things so you know how it's been navigated before and maybe you can give advice on that well there is the idea that you know you've been through a couple of scenarios or cycles so you know certain things are developmentally appropriate (laughs) they're gonna happen right and so there's this piece of being able to be supportive or provide reassurance because you either know that that person has already been able to overcome whatever challenge is sitting in front of them and you just reminding them of that. Yeah. Or you know that it's normal and you can help normalize that for somebody because you're sitting alone with that experience. But so many people are telling it to me. I know you're not alone, so I'm going to normalize it for you. Yeah. You know. I think that makes so much sense. And I suppose of all the people that I interact with in my class, and then there's you, you have institutional memory. Like A little bit, you, after all these years. <laughs> thinking this through, that is probably really important to, to making these spaces because you know how the space works really well. Mm. You know, the other thing, I, you didn't ask this, but when you said something about relationships and trust, one of the things, going back to the person that mentored me when I first came here, his name was Paul Munson, and I think about him every single day because half the stuff that comes out of my mouth I clearly stole straight from him. 
But one of the things that we worked on early together was looking kind of at the parallels between what we do, because he had a similar background to me, yeah. and what you do and are going to do as a family physician. And, yeah. and I draw on that because I think there are so many parallels, right? Knowing people over time, developing trusting relationships. Those are things that you're going to experience with your patients. Mm-hmm. But there are things that I've gotten a chance and a sort of a joy in experiencing with all the learners who are now our teachers, you yeah. know, all the students who have now, you know, I knew their parents went, you know, it's, it's just that longitudinal connectedness. So. Yeah. I see why that would make you a good family medicine advisor. <laughs> I, and I'd never be a physician, I don't think, but <laughs> it, it, if I were, I probably would be a family doctor. Yeah. And we've talked about this actually quite extensively already, but I feel like you think each of us, no matter where we're starting, has the potential to grow so much and become so much more deeply ourselves. So what are some of the core tenets or those skills that you reference, like always going back to that help guide your faculty style? Well, I think the first thing is that values thing Mm -hmm. is a basic tenet for me. Yeah. And I I think that people, by the time they come to medical school and they're at stage of life that you are, are pretty in touch with that. Yeah. But sometimes I think it's about connecting the dots, the things that you're going through and how they relate to those values and Mm -hmm. coming back to them. So, you know, you might know what you value coming in because... You know, people have had the opportunities to sort of articulate that and get clearer over time. But when you're going through a big experience, sometimes you have to reconnect with that and use the things that are important to you as guidelines or a little bit of a roadmap Mm -hmm. for where you're going. I think another basic tenant for me, maybe because I do so much career counseling. Yeah. I mean, people don't think about career counseling in medical school because they think, well, you're going to be a doctor, right? Yeah. But there are a lot of choices to be made. And working with people, you know, I've gotten to the point where there are certain things that are always on my mind and always have the desire to convey. And there are things like not looking at your next decision as your whole life, right? <laughs> right. Um, so I'm very fond of saying, I'm sure students are tired of hearing me say, you know, really what we're talking about is taking your next best step. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because your life and your career are not linear. The things that happen are sometimes expected and not expected. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we good decisions or not as good decisions. Yeah. And so all we can really do is think about the next best step yeah keep in mind what we want to be doing instead of what we want to be yeah and when you put all that together and the idea that there's not like one singular right path right or thing yeah or person yeah right yeah you give yourself the freedom to make your next decision yeah and it takes a little bit of the weight off of all of that so for me those are you know basic tenants and I try to apply them, you know, because we all have to do that. We all have to navigate. You know, you said elementary school teacher. I I don't think I'd be happy doing what I first started out doing, but it was one of the most valuable things I ever did. Yeah, for sure. So 
do you mind if I ask you what your values are as it pertains to your job? Um, (laughs) My job. Well, I might have to think about that for a minute. I think one thing I really value is relationships. Yes. Personal, professional. That's probably one of the things that ranks right up there, probably one of the highest. I think I have a strong sense of integrity, Mm -hmm. and I really value that in others. Mm -hmm. A sense of respect, which goes with the idea that you don't always know the right thing, right? right? I don't always know the right language anymore. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm learning, mm-hmm. but a basic sense of respect, yeah. I think, helps you navigate through that. So I really value that as well. Yeah, There's probably a whole lot of other things. I mean, I could tell you that I really value my family, but that goes with relationships. Yeah, I value service. Yeah. Um, I think of that as the definition of what I hope my career's been about. Yeah. So you're going to serve your patients and communities yeah. and... I have always felt, even in an environment like this where it can be very hierarchical, yeah. right? Yeah. I've always been very comfortable with the idea that I am in service yeah. to the physicians that work here, mm-hmm. to the students that work here, mm-hmm. to the community faculty that we rely on. So that's always been a real sense of clarity for me. I don't think it always is for other people in an environment like this yeah because it can be very hierarchical yes it definitely can be and i i think all of us really appreciate that you're able to live these values in how you interact with us and i'll just take this moment to also shout out to dr carolyn peel the other faculty of the family med scholars I think she was the first person who I had ever heard use the phrase live my values. And I just can't stop saying it because it just makes so much sense. Well, and you can probably identify several people. Like there are people that I just truly admire because they walk the walk. Yeah. You know, they live their values and it's right there. Yeah. And I haven't ever actually thought about that as it relates to me. But I hope I do that. (laughs) I think you do, Judy. Yeah. And I will get into this a little more in the last episode of this podcast, but I think it's really important to have like a heart that people can trust because you mentioned language. And I think so much of my social justice work would have been easier if others weren't so afraid. And I think when people are not so in touch with their own values that they can trust their own values and they can trust their own heart in a way that allows other people to trust their heart, it makes it really hard to get involved because you just don't know what's right. Yes. And I think my goal is to make spaces where people are able to explore their own values and really learn to trust their heart so that others can trust their heart. And I'm just going to call that self-actualization because I really feel like that's what it is. And as a future physician who will immediately have third-year medical students as an intern. You will. But then also as someone who will have fourth-year medical students about to go into the world. And then when I'm a senior resident, I'll have my interns. Yeah. And then as like an attending, maybe I'll have med students. Maybe I'll have pre- Like I'll always have so. people. I hope so. Right? <laughs> 
And I want to make these spaces where people self-actualize and people learn to know their heart and trust their heart and feel good about it. And so I really think you make these spaces. And I know you're very humble, but (laughs) would you have any advice for me as I go forth and kind of grow up? And I know I'll earn these experiences that will help me make a better facilitator, but just, you know, off the bat as I graduate in like three months. As I think about your next steps, first of all, I think you've already done so much reflection. And I think that's a really important thing. You know, it's different than I run anxious. So, you know, I can (laughs) sit there and perseverate about everything. Right. (laughs) But I think that the the good side of that when you harness it is reflection yeah. right and you've already done so much of that just in in the doing of this <laughs> right i don't worry about you leaving space for other people i think that you're intentional because it's been so important to you you're going to sort of pay that forward for other people I think one thing we always have to remember, especially in times like this, when we're talking about hope and we're talking about change and all those things, is the idea that being cognizant that for many people, this sort of exposes vulnerabilities. Yes. And I found myself having to look for places to be a little braver Mm. um, and not so guarded yeah because I'm so afraid I'm gonna make a mistake yeah um, or I'm gonna be embarrassed or be shamed or whatever it is so continuing to reflect as you have and you know I'm not one for phrases like this but you know we all have to give some grace yeah <laughs> not just for other people but for ourselves yeah and somebody recently pointed that out to me because I don't think of doing that for myself I I think the other thing that is kind of a new insight for me, too, is, and it goes back to how you started this with that idea of hope. And um, as I am learning, because I continue to try to, you know, like work too personally, is to hold more than one thing in my space at the same time. And so all of these very overwhelming things that we're experiencing that give us a sense of despair, there's the hope too. So I'm trying to hold both things at one time and know that you can do that. Um, And that has been very helpful to me personally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that reminds me that it's really hard to make these spaces if you yourself are not in that space for yourself. Right. So a good reminder. Well, as we are wrapping up this episode, I've also been asking all my guests this one last question. As we work to be healers and to be healed as people who exist in this med-ed context, but also as humans, what does healing look like for you? I think it's maybe what I said about holding two things. That, okay. That's that's been healing for me. Yes. It's created a little bit of that grace. Healing is also about walking through hard stuff, challenges, yeah. failures, yeah. mistakes, walking through and finding some meaning from that yeah. that you kind of do good with. You know, healing implies that you've been through something and the hope is coming out the other side with new insight, new abilities to navigate the next time. I think that makes a lot of sense. I've also been 
trying to reconceptualize healing for myself where at some point I was like healing is undoing harm Mm. and it's like moving backwards but that never really sat right with me because I was like the person I am after something happens can never be the person that I was before an event happens Mm -hmm. and to even want to go backwards felt like a betrayal to myself but to reframe healing instead as being able to see that journey not as something that took away from me but something that I was able to survive and now I can do something with I think is a wonderful goal to have. I think it's a beautiful way to conceptualize it and it feels very true to me. Yeah. (sighs) All right well I have loved speaking with you Judy and as we wrap up I hope our listeners really take to heart that we can make these spaces wherever we are, no matter who we are, what role we play, but there's always room for (laughs) self-actualization and we can always be facilitators and you don't need to sit in the highest leadership role to do that. Do you have any last words for our listeners? No, I, well, you know, people do that all the time. You ask and you say no, and then you say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) I feel like I'm glad that I agreed to do this, even though I felt really uncomfortable about it. If nothing else, it gives me just another chance to sit in conversation with you, which I always really enjoy. So thank you. Yes, of course. All right. Do you want to say bye? Bye. Bye. You know, when I asked Judy to join me in conversation, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to talk to her about. But I did know that Judy does something special, and I wanted to know how she did it. In our discussion, I realized that by caring so deeply about the people around her, Judy is able to facilitate spaces of growth for her students in a way I hope to do for others in the future. We talked in this episode about learning how to walk beside someone and trust in the wisdom of the group, knowing that if something is important to others, that that is a good enough reason to find ways to support them. To be a facilitator of growth is to be a guardrail, and Judy reminds us to hold on to your people and your relationships to create that sense of community and safety. Listeners and future Victoria, remind yourself and those around you that there is no one right path, that we must name our values and know how we want to spend our time, not what we want to be called. And when in doubt, do your best to find the next right thing for yourself, and the rest will come with reflection and experience. Then, tune in next time as I talk to my friend and colleague, MD-PhD student, Susie Turkson, as we discuss how to do something with chaos and the absolute whirlwind of navigating diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts within institutions. Let's stay connected! You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at VMDWIP. And special thanks to our podcast cover art to my partner, Miguel Alt, who can be found on Instagram at Altercana, that's A-L-T-A-R-C-A-N-A, And so much gratitude to my friend, Joe Che, for composing the wonderful music for this podcast. This information will also be in the description of this podcast. And hey, thanks for listening.